Good morning. Glad you're here. Uh, when Jake was doing the dedications, I was listening to this comedian who talked about what they sing at the atheist church for baby dedications. No one loves the little children. Oh, come on. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. I know. It would only come from me, wouldn't it? Right up here in this pulpit. So glad you're here today. Um, you've came on a great weekend. We finished up with uh, the Easter series last week, and we want to tag onto it with a series called What Now? In just a minute, I'll jump into that. I want to receive our offering today. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. Um, you know, I was sharing with you over 100 new first-time givers in the last, I think it's nine or 10 weeks now. Yeah. And then half of those uh, have set it up where it's recurring giving. So they're not just dabbling. They truly are uh, catching what the vision is. If you go to Jubilee, if you receive from Jubilee, if it's your church, right? This is not for visitors. This is for people who consider this their church. Then understand how the ministries work here, right? It's that the people of God see what's going on and we partner uh, together. Uh, I was listening to a teacher this week who said something. It was, it was really for me about something that I've been praying about, but I thought and wrote it down because I thought it would be good to share when it comes to the idea of giving. Here was his quote. He said, the moment you're committed is the moment heaven begins to move on your behalf. So here's where it applied to me. With the training center that we just built, I am more busy right now than I have ever been. And yet I know there's things that I wanna get going with uh, on the training center. And so here's what I said to God. I said, God, would you give me a sign? Anybody else ever asked for a sign? (laughs) Would you just let me know now's the time. And uh, the sign that I got, I was listening to this guy and he said, the moment you're committed is the moment head begins to move on your behalf. And I know the Lord was saying, John, once you're ready to give yourself fully to it, I'll meet you there. I'll move on. And it was like that when we started the church. We literally came with nothing 25 years ago. And I had asked the Lord before we started, there's a scripture in Genesis chapter three um, that says the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth because no man was there to till the field. And what I was asking for was, Lord, show me the right, show me the place that's going to be blessed. When I read that scripture, what the Lord said is, John, when you go, I'll meet you there with the provision that you need. But if you're trying to spy it out and figure it out by, oh, there's a bunch of provision, go there. It never works that way. So when we say things like the only scripture in the Bible in Malachi that says we can test the Lord comes with our giving. God says, test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on your life. I think what we want to do, God, if that's really you, let me dabble and see. Let me stick my toe in the water to find out. And I'm going to quote to you what I felt like the Lord said to me. The moment you're committed is the moment heaven begins to move on your behalf. And so if you find yourself in that place of like, I don't know if I should, if I shouldn't, is that the Lord? Man, I'm telling you, God is in that. God blesses that. It's a form of worship. Thank you for listening to the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself on the fence, I would encourage you, go ahead and jump off and be committed. If you're in a position where you say, Pastor, I wish I could, but man, we're just not in that place, then I'm going to pray for your finances this morning as we go to the Lord. So will you pray with me? Lord, we love you and thank you for the opportunity to give to you. You are so good to us. Lord, you are so good to us. Church, say amen. Lord, you are so good to us. So good in every area of our life, Father God. Every area of our life. And so, Lord, it is our honor right now to worship you and to, Lord, do what you ask us to do. 
So Father, bless this giving. Lord, may it go to do everything that you want to accomplish. May we be 100% always operating in integrity with it, Lord, so that people know what's said is what's done, Father. Protect that inside of our church, Lord. I pray for those this morning, Lord, who are struggling in that area of their life. Father, we welcome them like we welcome those who are able to come and jump right in. You're a part of this church. You're needed here. You're welcomed here. And what I pray is that God will bless you and put you in a position where you can operate that way. Thank you for those who are faithful in this giving. Lord, we bless this. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can give online. You can give through the app. And you can give at the offering boxes on your way out. Okay. It's called What Now? The idea simply is this. Because there is a resurrection, what now? Now, I know the obvious thing that all believers, man, part of the greatest, I mean, look, our day, everything we base our faith on is the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said this, if there isn't a resurrection, then we're to be pitied above every creature on the face of the earth because what we're doing has no value. It has no eternal value. But there is a resurrection. Jesus is alive. And we celebrate that, and we believe that, and we live in that. But here's my question. Like, if it was just about eternal life, it was just about salvation, what about the rest of the time that we're on the earth before we get to heaven? I mean, if it's just about heaven, why doesn't God, when you become a believer, why doesn't he just take you to heaven? Jesus said, I came to bring life, and not just any life, but abundant life. Abundant life doesn't start there. It begins here. What's the trigger for abundant life? What is this abundant life? One of the translations says this, I came to bring a life and not just any life, but a life that's worth having. A life that's worth having. Do you have that life? And if you don't, what what trigger? Is it an age thing? You finally get to a certain age? Well, I know plenty of people in this room, men and women of a certain age. How's that? Who aren't living an abundant life. And yet I know younger people who have figured it out. It doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, what we said earlier. Jay talked about it. Jake talked about it. If you walk into the room this morning and you're not okay, listen to me. It is okay to not be okay. It's okay. You're safe here. You're welcome here. But I also want to say, if you're here and you're not okay, God loves you enough not to leave you that way. He doesn't want you to go through your life not being okay. So what now? What happens now? All right, when we're in Israel... One of the places that we visit is the Dead Sea. I'm sure you've heard of it, familiar with it. Here, two things that make the Dead Sea uh, a phenomenal place to go to. One, it's the lowest place on the face of the earth. Last night, somebody wrote me and said, Pastor, the Marianas Trench is far lower than the Dead Sea is. The face of the earth. Not the bottom of the ocean. The face of the earth. So the lowest point on the earth, right, is the Dead Sea. It's 1,400 feet below sea level. Uh, When I'm there and running, I love to run there because the oxygen is just so, it's so thick right there, man. It's it's really a completely different experience than when you're in Colorado. Um, And so to describe this place to you, it's really beautiful. It's in the middle of the desert. It's bordered on one side by the country of Jordan and on the other side by the country of Israel. It's a really pretty place, really awesome, um, but it's dead. They call it the Dead Sea. And inevitably, Alec, inevitably, every time we're there, when we open it up for Q&A, someone will ask the question, okay, what lives in the Dead Sea? (laughs) Roberta, you were there. 
James and Carrie, what lives in the Dead Sea? The name describes what lives in the Dead Sea. Every time I slow down, okay, it's called the Dead Sea. Yes, but what, is there some kind of fish in there? No, it's called the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Somebody said, I bet there's microorganisms in the Dead Sea. I, okay, got me, burn me, we got. I don't even know if there's organisms in it. I know this, the mineral content is so high in it that people, uh, they, they, there's cosmetic factories there that do billions of dollars in, in commerce around the world because the mud and the, the uh, uh, chemicals in the water, the naturally found chemicals, are really good for your skin. Uh, like people with eczema can go there and find relief for the eczema. Some people are even healed uh, in those waters. It's pretty remarkable. But get this. Let me tell you what fills the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee, which is in the north of Israel. Uh, the sea that if you know your Bible at all, most of Jesus' ministry, 70% of his ministry took place in the Galilee region of Israel. And that's where the Sea of Galilee, when he walked on the water, it's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, when you read about the demoniac that had the thousand demons in him, it's the Sea of Galilee. Many, many miracles took place there. So the Sea of Galilee is very much alive. It's like any freshwater lake that you would run into here. It's fed uh, from Mount Hermon. Uh, that's the headwaters of where, so the snow then feeds into it in another river, a smaller tributary. And it's this beautiful river that, um, man, we do baptisms in the Jordan. It's a, it's a really cool thing. But by the time it begins to flow down, because it goes down and it goes to the deepest place on the face of the earth, nothing can get out of it. So what makes it dead is that it's a repository. Listen to this. It's a repository for life, but because nothing can get out of it, it becomes dead. It becomes stagnant. Water seeks its own. It can't flow against gravity, so it finds itself stuck in this place. All right. I think it's a metaphor for how many of us as believers live our lives. We're always receiving so much life. We listen to this teaching. We're in this worship. We listen to this message. Uh, we'll watch this. We're receiving all the time. But unless you have a channel to let it back out, all you are is a repository for life, but it becomes stagnant. And then that life in you literally can turn to death because you're not doing anything with it. My what now question then is this, Dave, what now because of the resurrection? Is it just wait here until heaven or is God giving us all of these things so that we do something with it in our lives? Amen. Does that make sense? All right, so um, let me, me right now, and if you're just like, pastor called me a dead seat. No, I'm not, I'm saying it's a metaphor for how it can go in our lives. I want to do this today. Uh, I'm going to look at Simon Peter's life. And Pastor Jake and I are going to tag team on this series over the next couple of weeks to set up uh, an answer to this. What now? How can you use your gifts uh, to do something mighty in the kingdom of God? Does God want you to do that? What's the outcome of that? Does it make any difference? Or is the best you can do just come and listen to a message and take more in, take more in? What do we do with it? What now? So I'm going to use Simon Peter's life real quick, and I'm going to talk about Peter. Peter's known, obviously, for a few things. Uh, probably the worst thing was his denial. 
And that's where I'm going to start at, the denial of Peter. Then I'm going to talk about the restoration of Peter and the result. And then I'm going to talk about how this equals into our lives. So I'll do this, this first part uh, quickly. Uh, Luke chapter 22. Uh, it's a whole chapter here. I cut it in half and I'll comment on the parts that I want you to see. So we're going to start at verse uh, 31, go to 34, and then we're going to read 54 to 62. But if you are a studier when you go home, man, fill in the blanks with the rest of that chapter in Luke 22. So Simon, Simon, the disciples are at the Last Supper. We just talked about this in the last couple of weeks. And at the Passover meal, um, Jesus is talking about what's going to take place. He's spelling it out clearly to the disciples. They still don't fully understand. Um, and then Simon Peter, who, man, Simon Peter's heart is in the right place, but Simon's, Simon Peter's mouth is writing checks that his behind cannot cash. That's a nice way to say it in church. So Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your what? That your faith should not fail. So Jesus is praying for Simon's faith. He knows what Simon's about to go through. Jesus is actually building a bridge for Simon to make it easy for him to come back after he messed up. I wonder if the church could learn a lesson that instead of condemning people when they mess up, what if we built bridges ahead of time so people knew how to get home? To make the mess up part that much easier to overcome. So why do we want people to suffer? Like, okay, this is the proof that they really are sorry. They suffered. Uh, Jesus didn't make Peter suffer. Uh, just Maybe we can learn a couple of things here. So look at Jesus' words. So when you have repented, he's building a bridge for him. He's telling him, look, you're going to have a struggle here. You're going to mess up. But Peter, when you have repented, turn to me again and strengthen your brothers. And then Peter, not understanding anything that Jesus said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Peter is a very strong man in the flesh. And Jesus didn't pray that he'd be strong in the flesh. He prayed he'd be strong where? In his spirit, his faith, right? Okay. So, so Jesus uh, said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Go to the next verse. Yeah. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard. I want you to remember this part of it. This is important because uh, when Jesus restores Peter, he recreates the scene. And he's using the power of what it looked like and what happened in order to show Peter, here's, okay, let's fix this, right? Let's use all the things that were there, but let's do it the other way and let's restore you. So Peter is now in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. Remember, Jesus has said, you'll deny me three times uh, before the morning comes. And Peter said, no way, I'm willing to die for you. It's in the bag, Jesus, don't worry. So they arrested Jesus, led him to the high priest's home. Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard because in the spring in Israel, it is cold at nighttime. They're all sitting around it. Otherwise than that, it's dark. And Peter joined them there by the fire. What enables Peter to be identified is that he comes close to the fire. And that's when he's recognized. So just keep this in your mind. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. One. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No way, I'm not, Peter retorted. Two. 
About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them, because he's a Galilean. He had an accent. That part of, of Israel, there's an accent with it. So they recognized his accent. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Third time, and then look at this. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Could you imagine? I mean, like, if you're a Christ follower and you loved him, and in Peter's case, you've walked with him every day for three years, you know who he is. You've seen everything. You know he's genuine. You know he's real. You love him with all your heart. And yet, in your braggadocious way, you've said, I'm willing to die for you. Jesus said, look, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail, but you are going to deny me three times by the time the rooster crows, and when you repent... So he's setting it up to make it easy for him to come back. And so suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. I, what could you even imagine? Experiencing Christ look at, and I don't think Jesus looked at him like, I think Jesus just looked at him like he loved him. Yeah. And Peter knew, ran away weeping bitterly. I just put, just real quickly for context, uh, this, the scripture that we know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Does so anybody in here deal with weak flesh yes. today? Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying to me right now. <laughs> Listen, how do you even know you are a follower of Christ? How do you know you're born again? How do you know Christ lives inside of you? Because once that happens, the battle of flesh and spirit begins. Now, the enemy is a liar, he's a condemner, so that when you battle in your flesh, the devil will say to you, if you really were a believer, you wouldn't feel that way, you wouldn't think that way, you wouldn't say those things, you wouldn't act that way. But the real proof that you are born again is that now you recognize and you feel bad when it happens because the spirit inside of you is at war with the flesh inside of you. So, so often we're praying, God, strengthen my flesh, wrong prayer. Pray, God, strengthen my spirit. Paul said, I wish you strength in the inner man. I bless you with strength in the inner man. By implication, if a man can be strong, a woman can be strong in their spirit, then they can be weak in their spirit too, right? And we have so many people trying to be strong in their flesh today. God doesn't need strong people of the flesh, people who brag, people who talk. In fact, let your life say that you love Jesus and not just your words all the time. Let the way you treat people, let the way you work, let the way you worship, let the way you even listen say you love Jesus. We don't need strong people. The church is full of strong people of the flesh. And I think that they are falling as never before. Strong people in the spirit. So Jesus prayed for his faith not to fail. And Peter was hoping that his flesh wouldn't fail. And I just asked a moment ago, how many of you battle with a flesh issue from time to time? You know what I love about God? He draws straight line with crooked sticks. Meaning every one of us fail. Every one of us struggle. Every one of us had things in our lives that if it all got exposed, we're not going to be proud of everything that everybody would to find out. There's things, I still deal with a temper. Like once a year. <laughs> What'd you say? Duck. Duck? Oh, because of a lightning bolt? What a helpful guy you are on the front. Sitting right up on the front row, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it, you, you deal with it and you go through it and here, 
Aren't you glad that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us for where we are only, but he sees us for where we're going to be then? So I'll give you two quick examples. Um, The patriarchs of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Hebrews 11, it writes that Abraham, uh, it, it uses him as the father of faith. It uses him as a man who was a man of integrity and a man who was upright. But if you ever study his life, there were several times that Abraham did some really not so great things. When they're in Egypt, he's married to a beautiful woman and he's afraid that the Pharaoh is going to kill him and take his wife. So he tells his wife, lie to the Pharaoh and tell her you're my sister. How many women in this room would know what to do if your husband said that (laughs) to you? Slap. She does it. And he falls for her. Donnie falls for her. And so he decides, I'm going to take her as my wife. And that night he has a dream. God sends an angel and the angel says to him, if you touch her, I will kill you. When's the last time you had a dream like that? I mean, he wakes up in the morning and he knows God has spoken to him. And he goes to Abraham and he says, why did you deceive me? Why did you do this? Why have you gotten God angry at me? Abraham lied to him. There are two or three other places where you can find. Abraham's called the patriarch, the father of our faith. Hebrews 11 records a picture of a man whose character is fully developed. And yet when we read his story, we know it's not fully developed, uh, at least in those older parts. And my point to you is this. The Bible calls him as though he were even when he's not yet. And that's what he does with your life too. There are so many things inside of us we're still battling with, and if everybody knew about them, and the people that are close to you do know, and we try to cover and hide those things, but aren't you glad God knows everything about you and he loves you anyway? We love him because he first loved us. It's not because we got cleaned up or we talked the right way or act the right way. He loves us because of who he is. Not because of what you do. And I love that. Look, one more thing just to say this to you. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but apologetics is the defending of faith. One of the things that's always in question is, how can you take a book that's been written over hundreds of years, literally thousands of years, uh, by different authors and claim that this is written by God, that it's inspired by God? One of the things I will tell you about the Bible, the way you know they're not trying to fool you, the way you know they're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes, when they write about a character, they put the good and the bad in with the character. If I'm trying to fool you, I only tell you the good parts. King David, a man after God's heart is what the Bible says. David commits adultery. Bad enough, but to cover it up, he has a man murdered. And God calls him a man after my own heart. God's not a murderer. So what's he talking about? God saw David for where he was, but he also knew where he was going to be when God gets done with him. God draws straight line with crooked sticks. Does that make any sense? It's an amazing, amazing thing. So we know that he failed really bad. Uh, What does Peter end up doing? He ends up going back fishing because that was what he did before he met Jesus. It's how he made a living. He didn't know what to do. Even though they knew that the Lord was alive, what do we do now? So he goes back to fishing. And Jesus finds the disciples together fishing. And they fished all night. They haven't caught anything. And so Jesus calls out to them. 
hey guys, how's the catch going? Not too good. Throw the net on the other side of the boat. They do it. They catch more fish than they can even haul into the boat. And Peter realizes that's Jesus. This is the ascended Jesus. So he jumps in the water, swims to Jesus. Now, Jesus has a campfire. And remember in Caiaphas' house, there was a campfire. And there were many witnesses. And so Jesus recreates the scene. Trying to identify with them. I knew ahead of time. So let's do this again. And this is what that looks like. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Real quick, who's he talking about? Or what's he talking about? Do you love me more than these disciples? These other disciples? Every time I read it, I used to think that. I, the Lord showed me something. We already know the apostle John is already claimed. <laughs> I told you last week, John, every time he writes about himself, the, the apostle whom Jesus loves. So is Jesus trying to start a rivalry between Peter and John for who do I like the most? So here's what he's saying. Do you love me more than fishing? And do you love me more than making money? Hey, look at me real quick. Do you love me more than your old lifestyle? That's what he means. He's not trying to put a competition between the disciples who loves Jesus the most. Hey, have you gone back to your old way? Or do you love me more than all of these things here that I'm looking at? And then he asked them the questions to restore him. How many times did Simon deny Jesus? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Let me teach you something really cool uh, with this that we don't, uh, we don't always get. So maybe, maybe it's nothing more than Peter denied Jesus three times, so three times Jesus asked him uh, around a campfire with witnesses just to recreate the scene that was Peter's downfall. Maybe it's nothing more than that, but in the Greek here, this is really interesting because there's five words for the word love. You know, in English, we have one. So that we, we use it, I love my car, I love my wife, I love Jesus. I hope you love Jesus more than you love your car. I can tell people struggle with that over here in this... <laughs> Right, we use one word to describe it, but in the Bible, they would use five, New Testament, five words. And in this case, this is interesting because Jesus uses a word for love and Peter uses a different word for love when he answers him. So Jesus' word is the word agape. You ever heard that word before? Agape. Agape love is unconditional love. Perfect love. It's the love that Jesus loves us with. It's the love that men are challenged to love their wives with. Love your wife like the Lord loves you. Agape love, perfect love. So Jesus says to Peter, do you love me the way that I love you? And Peter answers him with the word phileo. It's the word where we get Philadelphia from. Philadelphia is the city of Phileo love, I love you like a brother. So Jesus says, Peter, do you love me like I love you? And Peter says, Jesus, I love you like a brother. So Jesus asks him again, Peter, 
Do you love me unconditionally like I love? Peter, will you lay everything down for me? Jesus, I love you like a brother. Third time, Jesus switches it and says, Peter, do you love me like a brother? And that's what hurt Peter. And Peter said, Jesus, I love you like you love me. And I will lay my life down. Basically saying, I should have, I could have, if I could do it again, I would have. But all I can do is start with where I am right now. And then Jesus throws this at him. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death, uh, by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him again, the very first words, follow me, Peter. And we don't have this in the Bible, but church tradition teaches that Peter did not consider himself worthy to die in the same manner of Jesus, so he was crucified also, but crucified upside down. That's church tradition. Not in the Bible, but church tradition, okay? So what Jesus was telling him when he's asking him, do you love me enough to do what you actually said? Will you lay your life down for me? In the very last, I love you like you love me. You laid your life down for me, I'll lay mine down for you. And Jesus was saying, good, because before you could go do what you want, but as you get older in this walk, you're not going to be able to do what you want. You're going to have to do what I want. Does that make sense? Okay, so let me sew this up because I think this is like, uh, this, is, this is the lanyap right here. The result of Peter being restored. Now, two things happen. Jesus restored Peter and Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't discount either thing. Restoration is absolute. Uh, 2 Corinthians says God has given us the ministry of reconciliation whereby we are constantly trying to persuade people to be reconciled to Christ. The message God has given us to tell people is not that God is mad, God is angry, God is indifferent, God is trying to extract a pound of flesh. The message God has given to the church to tell people is that God wants to be reconciled to them. Does that make sense? And why we mess up such a simple message, I don't know. So here's the result of Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit and being reconciled to Jesus. Acts chapter 2, you know, Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And they're all together, 500 people in a room, and the Holy Spirit comes in the room, and a bunch of miraculous things happen. Tongues that look like fire are resting on their head. They're speaking in tongues. Uh, miracles are taking place. Um, and then the people in Jerusalem for uh, the festival see these, these people acting crazy and they, they, they make a judgment call. They don't go, oh, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They go, these people are drunk. These are a bunch of drunkards. Now remember, Peter's never preached a message before. He's never preached a message before. Um, so Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And then he goes on to say, this was that prophesied by Joel in the last days says the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your young men will dream dreams, your old men will see visions upon men 
and women. I'll pour out my spirit and they will prophesy in the last days. And he preaches this homily that's really excellent, right? It's the first time. And then here's the result. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized that day and the church added 3,000 people. You imagine your first message. Dude, what are you going to do for an encore? Like if only 2,000 get saved, it's like, ah, well, you lost a third. So look, my first, uh, my first pastor that discipled me is Pastor Terry. He was my youth pastor. This is a long, long, long time ago. Dinosaurs and people chiseling on stone, all that kind of stuff. And so I go to Terry, young man, newly married, and... Um, had come back to Christ. I knew I was called when I was 15. So I tell Terry, Terry, I feel called of the Lord. And I, man, I want to preach. God's called me. And Terry goes, oh, you, yes, I see it on you. He brings me to the bathroom. He says, clean the bathrooms. Like, no, no, you, you didn't understand. There's an anointing on me, Terry, to preach. I want to preach. Yes, I, I did hear you. Clean the bathrooms. So you want to be in ministry? Be a servant. It's literally hand in hand with each other. <laughs> I said last week in the message, the true test of a servant is how you act when you're treated like one. We all think we are until someone talks to us like we're a servant. Hey, can you go stack those chairs? Can you vacuum? Can you serve? Well, I, but can't you see the crown on my head? So I cleaned bathrooms, and then I graduated to stacking chairs. And then he said, you're ready. All right, time. We walk down the room. He opens the door. There's about 20 junior hires in the room. Terry shoves me in, closes the door, and puts his foot in it so I can't get out. And he says, if you survive this, you really are cut out for ministry. I love those kids, man. I love some of those kids. We were trying to add it up last night, uh, 45 years ago. Some of those kids still come to church here. You believe that? Yeah, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Not all of them, but, but some of them. Okay. Uh, so finally, I serve and I serve and I serve and love and I love and I work and I work and I learn and I learn. And finally, he's like, okay, John, would you like to give a message? Yes. Yes, I've been telling you, yes. I've got this message in my heart. So we work on it. Dude, I write out and everything's handwritten. I, for me to walk away from my notes, this would have never happened on the first. Stood right there behind the pulpit holding the notes reading. And the whole thing from start to finish took five minutes. And I'm not kidding you, five minutes. What do you do? I got 35 minutes left. So I'm like, and so Pastor Terry, why don't you come on up and take over? And Terry goes, no, you're doing just fine. I'm like, what? well, let's pray again and we'll sing another song. Now there's 25 minutes left. I'm only just making a quick comparison. So my first message was so, it was so embarrassing. I can't, I think I called it seesaw people or something like, you're up and you're down. That's, yeah, real, real deep. And here Peter gives this message, his very first one, 
And the Holy Spirit is so powerful in him that 3,000 people get saved. Okay, maybe there's a lesson in this here. That it's not how much study and education's great, but it only takes you so far, especially in the things of the gospel. Maybe it's the time spent with Jesus and not the time spent with pen and paper. So I, I think there's just like Peter, Peter betrayed Christ and two weeks later, Jesus restores him back to ministry. We take people today who mess up and we, we, uh, it's going to take at least a year or two. And I know in some cases that's true. But wouldn't it be great if we automatically just built into the process that you're human and you're going to mess up. So when you repent, because repentance is necessary, come back to Jesus and we'll help you find restoration so you can take up where you left off. Wouldn't it be great if the church got that? What if we use Jesus' model? Enough said about that right now? All right. So let's just do the best for now. Um, you know, on that five-minute message, I know some of you were like, I don't believe for a minute you could do a five-minute message. <laughs> John Leach, there's... <laughs> you're lying through your teeth. There's no way you could do a five-minute message. It happened. <laughs> John 2.10. Um... Jesus' first public miracle was at the wedding in Cana where he changed the water into wine, remember? And um, it wasn't yet time for him to go public. The Lord had not released him. The Father had not said to him, go public. So in John chapter 2, we find that story. Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana and his mother and the disciples are there. And at the wedding, they run out of wine. And so Jesus' mother goes to him and says, son, these people have run out of wine. And Jesus literally says to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. He says those words. And like any good mother, she ignores her son. <laughs> she turns around to the servants who were there and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Don't, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. So Jesus... I, I can't explain what happened. Maybe he just honored his mom. Yeah. And the Lord honored that. But he literally had just said, it's not yet my time. But he goes ahead and he does the miracle. And he turns the water into wine. And then the masters of the ceremony taste the wine, which was the tradition. And then the master of the banquet makes this statement. A host always serves the best wine first. Uh, then when everyone has had too much to drink, he brings out the less, to, less expensive wine but you have kept the best wine until now. And what I love about that is to tell you today that if you haven't caught anything that I'm talking about, like if you've been more a receptacle rather than a person who gives out, if you're just more like, hey, just feed me, feed me, feed me, but you're never allowing that to be a blessing to someone else with whatever resource you have in your life. So here's the good news. God saved this message for now. The best is right now. If you're still breathing, it's not too late. There's no condemnation. God's not mad at you. God's not against you. God's not judging you. But you're hearing this today because there's an opportunity for you to do something great in the kingdom of God. You can do something great still. So let me give you these four things. I'll do them real fast. If you want to take the notes and write down the fill in the blanks. Salvation is more than heaven. 
Say that with me. Salvation is more than heaven. Jesus is asked a direct question in John chapter 17, verse 3. The question is, what is eternal life? What is it? Describe it for us. Give us a definition for eternal life. Here's Jesus' definition. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He does not say that eternal life is heaven. Now, eternal life is ultimately in heaven. But eternal life, it doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life begins here and now in a relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You get eternal life now. You're supposed to become so comfortable with who Jesus is that when you leave here and go there, you don't go, well, what next? You know what's next. You get a relationship with him that is beyond a veil that we're stuck with in this world. You'll know him and he will know you. And heaven will be awesome for many reasons, but the greatest one, you will know him. And you should be comfortable now knowing him. Eternal life is not when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life continues to go when you die and go to heaven. This is important because many of us are focused on then and there. You need to also be focused on here and now. When Jesus was asked, teach us to pray, and he gave the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven as it is in heaven. You did catch the difference, right? Please tell me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is concerned about what goes on with the earth, just like he is what goes on in heaven. And for now, we live here on the earth. Our job is to bring heaven to earth. His job is to bring us to heaven. That makes sense? Okay, so salvation is more than heaven. Be thinking that way. Build your life like it matters. And remember the good news. The best is now. If you didn't know this before, you haven't done anything with it before, you're hearing it now. He saved the best for right now. Build like it matters. Now, many preachers are afraid to read this verse of scripture because it is a, um, (laughs) it's black and white. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Uh, Anyone who builds on that foundation, Jesus is the foundation. So anyone who builds their life on the foundation of Jesus, following? does it one of two ways. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials as they're building their life. They can use gold, silver, and jewels, or they can use wood, hay, and straw, or stubble, says one of the translations. So which one, real quickly, without looking at the next part of the verse, which one's the best to build with? You know what I have? Is it gold, silver, <laughs> straw? You make one word sound like two. I think it's gaw. Come on, which one's the best? Yes, the precious is better for this reason. On the what day? Okay, look at me real quick, everybody. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how much money you have or you don't have. I don't care if you've ever been here before. You've been here the whole time. Maybe you're never coming back and maybe you'll be back next week. One thing is true. Look at me. This is going to be important to you and it's going to help you. Everybody in this room will go through the judgment day. Everybody. You can deny it. You can turn your face from it. You can act like it's not true. But look at me. I'm trying to help you right now. Everyone in this room will go through the judgment day. You will give an answer for your life to the Lord. What's being taught here is what the way you're building your life is what's going to be judged. Now, this is important. Look at this. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive what? A reward. We get rewarded. Yay! 
You should be excited about that. You should not, if you're like, I just don't know what's going to happen. Quit living that way then. Don't live that way. Don't be afraid. Okay, on the judgment day, um, so if, if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer what? Now, this is important. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So this is not heaven and hell. Because it already tells us, no matter how you build, you're saved. Because what you do is not how you get saved. It's what Jesus did. That's how you get saved. But what you're building will go through the judgment and be judged and it will be revealed by fire. And if it's gold and jewels and precious things, it'll make it through the fire. And that's what you'll be rewarded on. But if it all burns up, you'll make it into heaven. But like one who escaped with nothing except their body into heaven. Now, yes, you'll be joyful you're in heaven. But it actually says that person will suffer great loss. What's the loss? What you build is what you give back to Jesus. And you will have nothing to present to the Lord. And that's where it says God will wipe away every... Heaven will not be a sad place for eternity. What could have, should have, or would have been. But there will be a moment in time at the judgment seat where you will have wished, I built my life the right way. So what does that look like real quick? Let me, let me just, just talk to you. So uh, and I'll use me real quickly. If I'm afraid to tell you that, because I want you to like me, then I'm building the foundation as a pastor on wood, hay, and fake things because I have more fear of man than I do of God. Does that make sense? And could you imagine on Judgment Day standing next to you and you go through and stuff gets burned and you look at me and say, Pastor, why didn't you tell me? What would I say? I, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I didn't want you to be mad at me. I didn't want a chance that you wouldn't come back. So if you don't come back, pay attention to me right now because you're going to need this someday. You're going to need this someday. How are you building your life? How are you treating people? Even things like working. Are you doing it as unto the Lord? And am I mean Pastor John now? Because it gets so quiet in here. Nobody move. Everybody's holding their breath. Please, please. It feels like the judgment right now. No. It's not. How you're married. Parents stand up here with their children, make a pledge in front of everybody. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's building with precious materials. When you let the junk of the world come in and fill your heart so that you can't then build the right way. You're building something. We're all building something. But you want to build stuff that's going to last. I don't want you to feel bad for yesterday. I'm telling you he saved the best for now. Okay. Hmm. I'll end. The last one is, no, I'm sorry. What's your gift? Ephesians 4, 7. 
Um, however, the Father has given each one of us a special what? Through the generosity of Christ. Uh, so I just need one Bible scholar. How many is each one? <laughs> Nobody's eliminated from that, correct? There's no redheaded stepchildren. If you had red hair, I love your red hair. So I've got redheaded son-in-law and redheaded grandchildren. Love them, love them, love them. Pastor Jake and Pastor Terry spend a lot of time trying to help people discover their gifts so they know how to apply them. I think that that's brilliant and it's true, but I also want to talk about tests real quick. Uh, when I was in high school, I took a test to figure out what I'd be best to do at um, with my life, and the test said I'd be a great weatherman. <laughs> a weatherman. So, in Colorado, it's not going to warm up till July. And it'll be cold in August. Back to you, Chet. Hey, you know. Now, there's people who are called to it and do it with passion and do it with excellence and do it well. And I, you know, aren't you glad that pastors have to be more accurate than weather people? I got in a whole beef with Mike Nelson one time. I'll tell you about someday. Um, Know your gift. But let me tell you the easiest way to discover your gift. You can take a test, and you should. But the fourth one, the last one, and I'll end with this, is how can I serve? Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Just look at this real quick. God gave five major gifts to the church in order to help the body do a certain thing. So these gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's called the five-fold ministry. The five-fold, if a church is smart enough to recognize that these gifts exist, that God's given them to every church and that they're in the church, then the best thing the church can do is elevate those so that they can help people. And what do they help people do? Look at this real quick. Um, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So can we read it this way? Their responsibility is to equip the people in the church to serve, yes or no? to do his work to build up the church. That is serving, yes or no? Yes. So you want to find out what your gift is? Serve. Yeah, Just don't, you don't need to overthink this. You don't have to pray about this for two months and fast. <laughs> Go find a place to serve and you'll find out real quickly if you have a gift for it. I'll give you a for instance. If you're like not sure if you like working with kids, go back there and work one, one time. You'll know. The kids will know. The worker who's back there will tell you, you might be better in the coffee bar, we think. Is it true? So we try to guilt people like, you know, you have kids, you should get back there and serve. If you're not good with it, we don't want you back there serving. This is the truth of the matter. You're going to make it worse for everybody. We want the kids to experience the Holy Spirit, not you being mad. If you think I'm long in here, go back there and wait for me to be done. guy never shuts up. <laughs> so I'm kidding a little bit, but I'm trying to tell you the truth. Just, so we spend so much time trying to figure out where, 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 where. Just serve. Serve. 
Have an outlet for what God's put in you. Find a place. There are so many places. One of the things that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks uh, with what Jake talked about uh, with the volunteer fair is to show all the different ministries in the church, all the different places that you could serve. And why would you want to do this? Why? Because we believe that the life of God that Jesus talked about comes when we serve. If you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. And we... We all think, I've got a servant's heart. The test of a true servant is how you act when you're treated like one. Go serve and watch what happens. It is humbling and it is testing, but it is life-giving. And what I know, I'm just gonna tell you the truth real quick. Listen to me. If you wanna make Jubilee your home, but you don't find a place to serve, sometime, somewhere, some storm will hit your life. The Bible tells us. And if you don't have mooring lines where you're connected, you will drift away. That's what the Bible says. You don't go 100 miles overnight, you drift slowly because you're going through something and no one is there to pull you back. Find a place to serve. Serve, serve. Instead of that being an ugly word in your mouth, it should become one of the most precious words because if he is your Lord and Savior, then we do what he did. Remember the scripture last week when he washed the disciples' feet? If I'm doing this, you should do this, and blessed are those who do this. You want to be blessed? Serve. Want to find the life of God? If you're bored with your Christianity, which is an indictment that I, that's what an oxymoron, I'm bored. I'm bored. You're bored because you've become the Dead Sea. Don't be the Dead Sea. God called you to be alive and to be living and to let things flow through you. Amen. And there's so many things. If you're a teacher, teach. If you're prophetic, prophesy. If you have a gift of healing, pray. If you know the scriptures well, explain them. If you know how to cheer people up, do it. If you want to serve, he's got a heart just to serve. He said, Pastor, let me start a ministry that just serves people. They need their grass cut. Maybe it's people who are shut in. Maybe it's people who are just going through something and they can't get it done. Can I start a ministry to just serve people? I said, well, let's, let's see what happens. Are you serving any place right now? Yes, incredibly. The next time he comes back to me, he said, Pastor, I've got five volunteers who want to serve with me. Wow. Do they know what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, they know. So we're working right now on releasing him into a ministry that if people in our church just can't get something done or they need help or... Instead of like that being a heavy duty, uh, this is so, when it's in your heart to do it, you're blessed when you get to do it. Right. How many of you are thinking of all the projects he could come to your house and do <laughs> 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 we'll talk about those things. We're working on those things behind the scenes right now. Okay, that's all I have. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you.
So I just want to speak real quickly. Um, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, would you just open your heart? Just put everything out for just, just a moment. So the message primarily is aimed at people who already know Jesus. They take in so much and yet there's not a way to give out. There's not a way to use. There's not a way to apply. Either you just haven't found that way or you've not contemplated what we're talking about. Or maybe you've tried but you just haven't found the right combination. Okay? Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. If you want a place where you can experience the life of God, if you find yourself ever thinking, man, this is boring, I'm telling you, you do not have the right gospel. There's a missing element. Jesus said, I came to bring abundant life, a life that's worth having. Yes, heaven is the payoff. It's so important. But the life that we live here and now is so important. Think about how you're building right now. Think about whether or not you'll feel good when you stand in front of the Lord. And I don't want you to feel condemnation. That's not what this is. The devil is a liar. He's a condemner. Jesus is a reconciler. He takes us where we are and sees where we can be. And then there's messages like this that move it from our head to our heart. And when it's in your heart, it explodes. Powerful things can be done. Powerful things. I'd make a huge mistake, though, if I didn't take just a moment in this place to say, everything that I'm talking about begins in a relationship with Jesus. He himself said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone hears me knocking and opens the door, I'll come into their life and the two of us will have a relationship. God is not offering you church. He's not offering you reformation. He's not trying to sell you something. He is offering you relationship with him. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God, and they would know your son whom you've sent. He's offering you relationship. He's offering you his mercy. He's offering you his grace. He's offering you his life. Your life is a gift from God. You get to decide what you're going to do with it, how you're going to build it, what it's going to look like. Often we think other people are in control of that. I'm telling you, God has given you opportunity to run your life. So when he says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in. Jesus will not open the door. It's your life. You get to decide. So I want to ask you if you're ready to make a decision. No one goes to heaven accidentally. If you get there, it's because you trusted in Christ. Not because you did good things. 
not because you built a good life. We go to heaven in a relationship with Jesus. And while I'm teaching today, my expectation, I know it's true. The Lord uses us to knock on the door of your heart and to ask, do you want a relationship with me? Do you want my grace? Do you want my mercy? Do you want this life that I offer? And if any person hears him knocking and opens the door, he'll come in. That's the truth. The common denominator for everyone in the room, we all need a savior. Do you hear him knocking on the door of your heart right now? Do you recognize your need for his grace and mercy? Can you say, Pastor John, I want to open my life to Christ. I want him to come into my heart. I want to know him. I say yes. If that's you and you say, Pastor, will you please pray for me today? So I want to open my life to Jesus. Would you just slip your hand up? Pastor, pray for me. Yep. Keep them up for just a second. I just, I'm just looking who I'm praying for. Yep. 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 In the back, I got you. Yes. 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 Yep. Yep. See you over there. I got you too. Thank you. Yes, sir. I see you. Anybody else? Pray for me, John. Thank you. Thank you. Got you. Just going side to side looking. Anybody else want me to pray for him with this? I see you, buddy. Okay. Church, will you all pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I open my heart to you. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for reconciling me to you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Now listen, there's not a right way or a wrong way to pray that prayer. It's just that from the sincerity of your heart, you mean it. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. If you knew the rejoicing in heaven... Your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And while I think heaven is, it's everything in the future. It's the life that he comes to give you here and now. And a life with him doesn't mean a life free of problems. A life free of having to figure things out. It means that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and his plan and purpose for your life can now go into effect, and you will make it through these things because you are an overcomer. So the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be good to you. The Lord grant you his peace. I pray that this week is a phenomenal week for all of you and that when you leave here, you leave here in the knowledge of God's great goodness and mercy towards all of us and that he's calling us to great things. This is the time of jubilee, folks. The time of jubilee. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And amen. Pastor Jake.